I wanted to, to look at Genesis chapter 1 as a launching off point for what I feel like the Lord has been dealing with me about. And I wanted to look at Genesis 1 and ask, what is the focus of the church? What is the mission that God is doing in the world today? There's a lot of smaller subsidiary things, but what is the main thing? Is anybody interested in what the main thing is? I'll be the first to admit to you. There's a lot of things going on in our world right now. There's things going on in the middle from us. And I'll just tell you that I've, I've read about it, I've looked at it, and I've tried to keep up with it. But nothing, not even those things are going to distract me from the main thing. I refuse to wring my hands. I refuse to let worry and anxiety get the best of me. I refuse to become distracted by the things that are happening in our world today and get my eyes off of the main thing. When Jesus comes back, I want to be found doing the main thing. I want to be found doing the main thing. I want to be about my father's business. I know I can already tell you feel the same way. Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. Make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, this is the first thing God ever said to humanity. The very first words that God says to human beings are recorded right here. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I, I, one of our elders one time, he said this, and it's, it's, maybe you've heard it, it kind of sticks with you once you've heard it once, Brother Jake. He said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just tell him that. That'll help you out and get it inside of you. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You may be seated. I want to minister from that text about the main thing today. Multiplication is the main thing. That's my message. Multiplication is the main thing. The very first words God spoke to humanity, be fruitful and multiply. With those words, God sets off the entire trajectory of the whole Bible. We can trace this command, these very first words, this initial and primary command of God to us to be fruitful and multiply, we can trace it from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Scripture. Genesis chapter 8, verse 17. God is giving Noah the command to build the ark and exactly the directions and what he's supposed to do. And he tells Noah, bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Just a few verses later in Genesis chapter 9 verse 1, they're climbing off of that ark and God blessed Noah and Noah's sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. A few short chapters later when God changes Abram's name to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 verse 6, God tells Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. 
and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. A generation later, Isaac would tell Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, verse 3, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. When God later changed Jacob's name to Israel in Genesis chapter 35, verse 11, God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. Generations later, whenever Joseph died, and the entire clan that had once been 70 people was in Egypt, the word of God says in Exodus chapter 1 verse 7, that the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is the basic and fundamental command of God to mankind. It is the life-giving command of God. God says, be fruitful and multiply. And so my message to you today is that multiplication is the main thing. To multiply something is a very simple concept in mathematics. It's repeated addition. It's whenever we add something again and again and over and over and over and over again. And eventually mathematics came up with a way of a shorthand way of going through the repeated motion of addition where something was being added repeatedly. And they started to call it multiplication. And in the Old Testament sense, in a literal sense, the scriptures we've just read together, when God tells them to be fruitful and multiply... He is very often referring to physical offspring, having children. He told Adam to have offspring. He told Noah and his sons to have offspring. For Abraham, offspring and having children that would multiply was his destiny. For Isaac and Jacob, who would later become Israel, multiplication and having offspring and children would be their promise. And from the years that went from Joseph to Moses, it came to be a reality, and the people of Israel multiplied so that the land of Egypt, the word of God says, was filled with the Israelites. And when we look at God's plan, and we look at multiplication, and God's simple primary command to be fruitful and multiply, it becomes clear to us that multiplication is part of God's plan to save the world. In Genesis chapter 3, after man had sinned, God told Adam and Eve, he said, I'm going to produce offspring out of you. You're going to multiply. And woman, your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. Multiplication and offspring and reproducing was going to be part and parcel of God's plan. It was going to be absolutely central to the way that God was going to bring about salvation in the world. And time and time again in the Old Testament, Israel's king, Jehovah, I'm not talking about a human king, I'm talking about God, their king. He would speak into their life and he would reiterate that central command that he told to Adam and Eve on that first day that he created them. And he would tell them what you need to do to be victorious, what you need to do to be blessed, what you need to do to be a part of my plan for the world is to be fruitful and multiply. 
God repeated it over and over again in the Old Testament. And then we even see in the pages of the New Testament that our King Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, the one who has all power and all authority given unto him, says these words to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey and to observe all that I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus spoke those words, you need to hear this morning. It needs to register with you the way that it's registered with me. You need to hear Jesus saying those same words that God spoke in the garden to Adam and Eve when he told them to be fruitful and multiply. The message has not changed. The message today is the same message as it was back in the garden. It's the same message as when Noah got off of that ark. It's the same message that when God gave his promise to Abraham, when God changed Jacob's name to Israel when God blessed Joseph's descendants and caused them to fill the land of Egypt. It is the same word. It is the same plan. Be fruitful and multiply is the message. And multiplication is the main thing. If unfruitfulness is unacceptable, then it bears the reason that multiplication and fruitfulness is the main thing. And when God, when Jesus spoke those words to his disciples and said, I want you to go and make disciples, what he was saying to them was the same thing he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. The image of God. And when God made Adam and Eve in his image, he stepped back and he said, now I've made you like me. Now I want you to reproduce and make more of me. So that I can fill the earth. And so that I can be glorified. When Jesus was about to ascend to heaven. And he had those last final moments in person with his disciples. He pulled them aside and he said listen to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And what I'm about to say to you is the command that's been given since the very beginning. Go and make disciples. Jesus said I've made you look like me. Now you go and reproduce and make more of me so that I can fill the earth. Understand today, it is the very same message. Jesus didn't change anything. Multiplication is the main thing. And the disciples understood it. That's exactly how they understood it. They understood it and they lived it because it became the driving force for everything that the early church did. The understanding that God wanted them to multiply shaped their presentation of the message that they had. In Acts chapter 2, they preached the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when they were done preaching that message, the people said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now listen to the very next thing he says. This infected the very presentation of the message that they were giving to the world. He says, for the promise is unto you and to your children 
and to your children's children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The message of multiplication was interwoven even at the day of Pentecost because they understood that if they wanted to be a part of the plan of God, they had to multiply themselves. It shaped how they presented the message, and it even shaped the methods that they used to deliver that message. Brother Dustin, what do you mean by that? If you've got your Bible, turn to, Matthew, or to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we don't, we don't preach it a lot. It seems kind of like a mechanical, uh, like a housekeeping type of scenario. But in Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read it to you to just show you how they had, they had such a conviction about multiplication being the main thing. They were going to multiply no matter what. It took precedence over everything else. It changed the way. They were willing to change the way they did things to accommodate multiplication. Do you see how important that can be? Sometimes we can get locked into our way of doing things. And some of our ways of doing things, Brother Anderson, are okay. Some of the things that we do, we do them that way because it's the way that God has told us to do it. And it's, it does things orderly. And it's effective, and we might see a pattern for it in Scripture. But when we get so locked into a way of doing something that it starts to infringe on our ability to multiply, then it's time to change the way we're doing things. Acts chapter 6 says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there's the word, When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking widows, because the widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve, the twelve apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased everybody. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And the word of God spread. Now listen, here's what happened. This entire conundrum arose whenever... There was such an influx of new people. There was such a multiplication that was occurring that they reached a little bit of a crisis point, Brother Ryan, and they looked around and they said, you know what? Stuff's getting missed. Stuff's getting missed. Everyone's needs aren't being met. We aren't doing the job that we should be doing to the very best of our ability. And they said, what are we going to do? They call everybody together. They come up with, hear me, a new plan. This had never been done before. A new plan, a new way to minister to the people that had been multiplied. And when they set this in order, they came together, they prayed, they laid hands on them, they ordained them, they released them, they said, go after it, let's get on with it. And then it says, the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They changed the structure and the format to accommodate the main thing. 
not the other way around. You ever heard the phrase, the tail wagging the dog? What a, what a tragedy it would have been if they had let the tail wag the dog that day. And they'd said, you know what? There's been a great deal of multiplication. And it seems like we're reaching our capacity to do ministry. Let's just say that's the extent of what God wants to do. He's filled, about, he's filled a few thousand people full of the Holy Ghost. We've baptized some people. There's been a great explosion of multiplication. There's been a great harvest that's taking place. But you know what? We really don't want to try out anything new. We really don't want to change anything the way that everything has always been done up to this point. Let's just quit while we're ahead and say, well, praise God. Isn't that just terrific? What a tragedy that would have been. Because you understand, in history, we don't, we don't look at it this way because we live on this side of history. We see that the church exploded from that. We see all the things that happened on down the timeline. But understand, this was a pivotal moment. This was one of those moments, Sister Mona, where the church was just contained to Jerusalem. The church hadn't spread. The church was right there in Jerusalem. There was a real possibility that this Jesus movement, these Jesus followers, Christianity, the church, there is a real possibility that if they don't do what they did to accommodate the main thing, that this movement becomes contained to Jerusalem and just eventually, over time, becomes just another political religious sect like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. It just becomes another sect of Judaism. These people believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It never spreads to the rest of the world. It never goes the places that it's supposed to go. It never reaches the people that it's supposed to reach. But because there were some people that had vision and said, you know what, we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing. It's not The way that we've always done it isn't the main thing. Multiplication is the main thing. And because of that, we're going to make some changes because there's some people that need to hear the message that is being preached. And so so we're going to change the way we've done things so that we can multiply some more. It has to be our heartbeat. It has to be our heartbeat. But Dustin, could there come a time when there is such an influx of people that don't know anything about the New Testament message of salvation that there isn't a single Sunday morning or a single Wednesday night or even a single day of the week that goes by when someone isn't standing in this pulpit or any other place around this building and they're declaring the simple message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the new birth experience. Would we get bored by that? Would we get bored by a format like that? Or would we say, you know what, whatever we have to do, in order to accommodate the harvest of souls that God is wanting to bring in, if it looks a little different, if it sounds a little different, we're not talking about changing them. They never once changed the message. In fact, everything they did was to keep the message the same. They weren't going to be held captive by the way that they always did things. But they were saying, you know what, we're going to do things however it has to be done so that the main thing can stay the main thing. The main thing is to make disciples. The main thing is to multiply. It not only shaped what they were willing to do, but it shaped the price they were willing to pay. 
It shaped how they presented things. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. It shaped the methods that they used to minister. But hear me, in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 7, it shaped the, the price that they were willing to pay. In Acts chapter 7, we're we get a closer look at a man named Stephen who had been appointed one of those seven deacons in Acts chapter 6. And Stephen in Acts chapter 7 over the course of time stands up one day and he preaches a message. And it's basically the entire chapter 7. It's one of the longest recorded messages that we get in the whole New Testament just uninterrupted the flow of this man's message. And he stands up and he preaches that message. And as he preaches that message, temperatures start to go up because he's getting right in everyone's business. He's getting right where everybody lives. And Stephen is telling them about Jesus being the Messiah and how they've crucified the Messiah and how they were God's chosen people. And if anyone should have known that Jesus was the Messiah, it should have been them. And he's preaching this message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the new birth experience. And temperatures get so high and emotions start to flare. And they start to collect rocks and throw rocks at Stephen. And they start to execute Stephen by stoning him to death. And the stones rain down on Stephen. But what we see in Stephen is a man who said, I know what the main thing is. And I'm going to let it determine the price that I'm willing to pay. Stephen that day paid the ultimate price. He paid the price with his life because he understood that no matter what, we have to keep multiplying. This message has to go out. No matter what it costs me, this message has to continue to be preached. Stephen preached that message until the very last breath that he had. And it says that when Stephen died... It set off something in Jerusalem, and there was unrest, and there was a lot of violence and hostility that started to erupt in Jerusalem, and people had to start leaving. The Christians had to start leaving Jerusalem. What had once been confined to this one city and hadn't really branched out very far yet, now they had to start dispersing and going to different cities and different towns and different regions because there was the, the environment in Jerusalem was no longer friendly to them. So they started leaving and moving and going other places. And Acts chapter 8 verse 4 tells us that in the fallout of all of that, the aftermath, is that therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And every story you read about in the book of Acts, from that point to the very end of the book, to present day, us sitting in this room in 2023 in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, every story in the book would be a stretch to say that all of it was ignited by this one man's conviction that the message of Jesus Christ was the most important message in the world. It was worth his life. And Stephen getting a hold of the main thing and deciding that didn't matter what the price was, he was going to pay it, it set off a global harvest. What once may have been confined to Jerusalem was now released into the entire world, even today here in Poplar Bluff. The ripple effects of that day and that man deciding that I'm going to keep the main thing, the main thing. 
it's felt right here in this room. We've been, we've been preaching and teaching and exhorting and communicating our theme this year of one at a time. One at a time is the rallying cry that we've used and we've repeated it and we've gotten a hold of it. But can I have an honest moment with you today? Multiplication is the real message. One at a time is what we've used and what we will continue to say because one at a time is digestible. But I'm here this morning to take the lid off just for a Sunday morning and tell you that one at a time is the baseline. One at a time is the minimum. Multiplication is the main thing. And we are going to see an outpouring of God's spirit in this area that we can't contain. Our methods can't contain it. The way we've always done things are going to have to change to accommodate it if we're willing to. And if we're not, then we'll have to live on the wrong side of history. But we can change and we can adapt and we can pay the price and God will multiply and pour out his spirit in this region at a magnitude that we've never even dreamed about before. Because it is the heartbeat of God that we be fruitful and multiply. And I'm not willing to settle for anything less than multiplication. Why? Because of what multiplication means. Multiplication means your loved ones coming into the church. Multiplication means your backslidden family members. It means prodigals, people that are far from God. It means complete strangers. It means co-workers. It means people you go to school with. It means people that you never thought would be receptive to the message of Jesus Christ. It means those people coming into the church and being saved. That's what multiplication means, and I'm not willing to settle for anything less than complete multiplication, repeated addition, over and over and over and over. Because I see faces and I see people everywhere I go in this city, everywhere I go in this county, I see people that are hungry for something that's real. I see people that want to know, is there a God who loves me? Is there a church that will accommodate me? Is there some place that I can go that I don't know anything about anything, but I can go there and I can start to learn about the things of God and I don't have to worry about being condemned or judged or thrown out on my head, my head but I can live for God and I can do it in a place where the people love me, where God loves me. Multiplication is still the main thing. It didn't die off in Jerusalem. It didn't die off with the early first century church. There is no presentation that is beneath us. The message is still Jesus Christ and him crucified. But look at what the apostles did everywhere they went. They said, no matter where we are, we're going to find a way to talk about Jesus. Paul went to Athens, and he had to use their secular philosophy and their idol worship as an entry point to talk about Jesus. Simon Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost with a bunch of Jewish people, and he talked about uh, Joel, and he talked about David. He talked about things they were familiar with, and in the middle of it all, he preached Jesus to them. Philip, in Acts chapter 8, talks to an Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian's reading from the prophet Isaiah. 
And Philip used the prophet Isaiah as a launching point to talk about the prophets and the law and lead that Ethiopian man to Jesus. They had that central animating conviction that multiplication is the main thing. And that means no matter where I go and no matter what I do, I have to tell them about Jesus. I have to find a way to talk about Jesus. There is no presentation that is beneath us. We will use whatever means necessary to tell them about the Lord. And there is no method we won't consider. There is nothing that we won't do short of sin to tell them about the Lord. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and we see the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. What's the apostle saying? The apostle Paul is saying, if it means getting out of my comfort zone, multiplication is the main thing. If it means giving up some of my rights, if it means giving up some of my rights, Multiplication is still the main thing. If it means my preferences have to take a back seat, multiplication is still the main thing. I hope it becomes etched in your spirit like it's become etched in mine. I want you to know today that multiplication is not just a dream, but it's possible. People will say, you know what, there's too much else going on. Brother Dustin, don't you hear about all the wars and the rumors of wars? And there's so many distractions and there's so many responsibilities and there's just so much else that's going on in the world. Shouldn't I just stock up on canned goods? And just bury myself down into a hole in the ground and just hold on and hang on until Jesus comes back? No. No, no, no. If we will make it a priority... God will make it possible. If we will make obedience to this one command, the very first thing that God Adam and Eve open their eyes, and the first thing they see and hear is God saying, be fruitful and multiply. And if we will become obedient to that, if we will make it a priority, God will make it possible. And as for me and my house, You've come too late to tell me that God doesn't have multiplication on his mind. It's the priority that overrides anxiety. It's the possibility that captures my imagination and keeps me up at night thinking, what if God did this? There is absolutely nothing God cannot do. Matthew chapter 6, as the musicians come, says this. 
Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Can we just have an honest moment this morning and acknowledge that that is usually our hang-up? When we start talking about whatever it takes, I want to see the will of God done. Whatever it takes, I want to be a part of the plan of God. I want to see multiplication happen. I want to see my loved ones come into the kingdom. I want to see people that I've never met be born again of the water and of the spirit. I want to see God continue to add to his church. Whenever we start rallying around that message and that main thing, what is the obstacle that usually drops into our way? In this day and age, maybe more prevalent than it's ever been, it's anxiety. It's worry. And the gears start turning, and there's been gears turning even here this morning. Well, what about, what about that? And what about this? And what are we going to do about that? And how's that going to work itself out? And how is that going to be provided for? And when, and when are we going to take care of that? And, and what if we have to give up this? And what if, what if this changes? And what if, what if that looks a little different? And in the middle of all those anxieties, in the middle of all those worries, in the middle of all the what ifs, God has a word for us. And it's the word that's going to help us keep the main thing the main thing. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I had a conversation on Sunday night. I'm just going to call him out. I had a conversation on Sunday night with Brother Ryan. Brother Ryan and I were talking. I wanted to talk to him about something, and he wanted to talk to me about something, so we came over here, and we sat down on the steps, and we started to talk, and I told him I'll go first, and I told him what I needed to tell him, and then I said, so what's on your mind, Brother Ryan? Brother Ryan, I hate to put him on the spot, but I'm just going to share our conversation. Brother Ryan said, you know, he said, and I already knew what I was going to preach this morning. I already knew what I felt. It's, it's been stirring in me. I've been studying for it. I've been, I've been writing down for it and reading about it and praying about it. Brother Ryan said, you know, I, I was in my prayer time on Thursday or Friday evening, and I just felt really strongly impressed that the Lord uh, was, was telling me that it's not going to be very long and we're going to have such an influx of people that need to be ministered to that don't have any background in church, that don't, have it, that don't know up from down, they don't know anything about Jesus, they don't know anything about the message. They don't know anything about how to live in a way that pleases the Lord. Does anybody bear witness to that with me? As Brother Ryan said that to me, I told him, I said, you're, you're confirming what I feel to be true already and what I'm already preparing to minister to the church. Because you're absolutely right. There is coming a day when we're going to have so many that are in need of ministry, that are going to need a teacher, they're going to need an encourager. They're going to need to know, they're going to need a friend. They're going to need somebody who will teach them how to worship and who will lead them in worship. They're going to need someone who'll stand up on a Sunday morning like this and say, you know what? I'm going to go to the altar so that you can go to the altar with me. 
And me and Brother Ryan continued our conversation. And we just became so encouraged in the Lord together that there's coming a day when we're going to go beyond one at a time and there's going to be a great multiplication event. And it's just going to keep going, Brother Sanders, and keep going and keep going. And it's going to be all hands on deck. I wonder if there's somebody here today who would say, you know what, I bear witness to that. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for my loved ones to come into the church. Can we stand to our feet all over this place? Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in our city, Jesus. These altars are open right now. Would you just start to respond to the word of the Lord in faith and say, God, I believe it. Would you come up around the front of this building if you believe?